Our word today comes from Isaiah verse nine, I'm sorry, chapter nine, verse one through five. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the, light, for the fire. Morning. morning. It's good to see everybody. Uh, so here we are in this season called Advent, which is, you know, fancy church word, Latin word, all of that, um, that means coming, like this space uh, where we are waiting for the thing that is promised and isn't here yet. And that space is often how we can think about our entire lives in um, Judaism, our, you know, Christianity coming from uh, the Jewish faith, um, there's a concept that all of creation is there to hold God's light, that everything that is made um, holds a bit of God's light and offers it into the world. Like we could think about, uh, for example, like all the way down to like microorganisms. Um, and that even the things that we can't see have been filled with uh, a bit of God's own heart and design for the world. We could think about larger creation like uh, trees and um, the, the hills and the animals that are out there. These are things that are supposed to express God's light to us. Very special way, humanity. Humanity filled filled with God's light, to bear God's light into the world. And as, and as we grow and join together whole nations and societies are intended to be light to the world because God has put that light in us. So the idea is that creation should be just humming and electric with the light that God has put in every single thing that he's made. So the question is, why is it so dark? Why is it so dark? If God has put his light in everything from microbes to galaxies, why do we experience a world that is so dark? So full of pain and difficulty? So full of things that are broken? You know, whether we're talking about like wars raging across the world and all of the things that we, um, like the, these overwhelming images that you can look up. Uh, I haven't checked the news this morning because I care for my soul. Um, you know, I don't know what, what the top couple headlines are, but I'll bet there's a few that could overwhelm you. I don't know if, if you have friends or family members that are relapsing or uh, you know people whose lives are falling apart or, or you know folks that are on the margins or there is a group of people that is on the margins of our society that can't seem to get a leg up and it, and it just seems dark. So what do we do with that? 
how do we engage with that? I mean, one, one strategy is the, maybe the most popular strategy in our section of the world is just simply to distract ourselves. It's just simply to distract ourselves. We kind of fill all of our time and mental margin uh, so that the only thing that we can focus on is our next thing, like just the next thing that we have to get through, and it doesn't give us space to like hear the cry of the brokenness uh, of people that are lost in darkness. And has anybody else been a little extra busy the last couple of weeks? Yeah. Yeah, and I know, isn't it like the lamest thing to say right now when people are like, how are you? You're like, oh, busy. Like, who isn't? You know, like, we know, we know. But it's true. You know, I busy myself in a way that keeps, manages to keep all of my focus on, on my things and my issues and, and, um, and little things that bump my schedule or my plan for the day get my focus and attention when there's a world out there that's stuck in darkness. You know, the people of God have often wrestled with this tension of like, we are living in a dark world and waiting for the light to come, and we know that we should be offering the world something, but we often seem broken. Um, Isaiah, one of my favorite spots in the Bible, is a prophet um, who is speaking to Israel at an interesting time. Uh, when they are an established nation, they feel like they have a lot of um, security. And, and the first five chapters of Isaiah is him bringing a charge against them that they probably weren't terribly aware of. They were kind of like navigating their day, doing what normal people do in normal societies, just getting to the next thing. And then there's this voice that for like the first five chapters of Isaiah, he's like cutting through the silence, drawing their attention to something that's not right. Um, just to cherry pick a few verses out of the first five chapters, let's start in chapter three, verse 13. The Lord takes his place in court. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and leaders of his people. Okay, so let me just hang on to that for just a second. This conversation, when the prophet arises, he is not interested in critiquing the people who are not followers of God. That's just not on the prophet's radar. Why would we even talk about that? They don't, they're not following God. We shouldn't expect them to, to act that way, right? His word of correction is to the people that are claiming to follow Jesus, right? right? Uh, the, the leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. Are we, still, are we still signing up to listen to this sermon? The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Uh, we could go on and on. I could fill the entire sermon with reading Verses like that, just um, chapter 5, verse 7. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are its vines he delighted in. This is God, he starts with delight in his people, but he looked for justice and saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Woe to you! 
who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left. You live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, surely the great houses will become desolate and the fine mansions left without occupants. That when the Lord sees his people concerned with their own comfort, and with their own building of their own lives to get a bigger house, to have a little more money, to have a little more safety, security, and comfort in my space, the Lord will have none of it. Because what he sees are the people who are weak that get left out and neglected by the folks that are carrying the name of God. And he raises up a prophet to cut through the noise and draw attention to the darkness that is in the world. Now, how do you think people reacted to that? Anybody know what happened to Isaiah? Sawed in two with a wooden saw. That's how people react to that kind of message, right? You know, wooden saw, doesn't that seem like overkill? But when someone rises up to speak a hard word to his own people about there is darkness out in the world, and by the way, he says that we are participating in, we as the people of God are participating in part of the darkness and the oppression of the poor and those without what they need in the world. And I'm betting that their reaction, I'm just imagining, was much like it is in my world, in my heart, when someone approaches me with a message like that, is my first thought is, am I? Like how? How am, I, how am I participating in that, right? And then if I do a little bit of listening, I can be stunned with the ways that my own life is contributing to some people in the world having less. Someone's face getting ground down and God loves me and them enough to challenge me. We live in a dark world. How are we going to deal with it? You know, the people in Isaiah's world, um, you know, other than the noise, they probably dealt with it like a lot of us do, um, which is especially in, inside of God's community. When, when someone has a sensitivity to that kind of need out in the world, they see some sort of um, oppression, marginalization, some sort of forgetting of the poor or uh, the fatherless or the foreigner or the widow or people from this group or people from that group. Well, often what happens is they, uh, out of a good heart, employ strategies that don't end up helping. They want to help, but they often don't. In fact, uh, often the gears just turn over and the people who were under society are now over it and the people who were over it are now on the bottom and man's way of fixing things just doesn't seem to work very well. I I was listening to um, teaching from uh, a professor at Wheaton named Esau McCulley. Um, Anybody familiar with, with Esau? Um, you should get him on your radar. Uh, fantastic um, young theologian. Uh, he did his PhD under N.T. Wright, maybe one of the greatest theologians alive today. And Esau was just talking about the, the people of God and their propensity um, to when the darkness in the world seems so great, they find a person, they find a somebody, and they hang their hopes for fixing the world on this somebody that, you know, like their beliefs overlap with mine enough and they agree with me enough and, and they say some of the things that I like. And so I'm going to push all of my chips in on this person making the world right for me, which among other things absolves me of having to do anything other than just kind of like raise my voice on behalf of, you know, X person. And, and yet we see these moral failures in the church time after time 
after time. You know, these like hopeful messiahs that we lift up in the world. And he, he ends up highlighting um, John the Baptist is maybe a, a perfect Advent figure of someone who is in a time when the world's dark again. Right? There's another nation sitting on top of Israel. There's another empire sitting on top of Israel. It's not the first. It's not the first. There's a long line of them. And, and the poor are getting ground down again. And Israel's own systems are broken. It, it's, it's interesting that when John confronts the systems, though, he doesn't, he doesn't critique Rome. He critiques God's own people, right? And their response to things in ways that they are holding down uh, the oppressed. And, and John, man, you just got to picture this guy. He lives, he's Jesus' cousin, right? He lives in the wilderness, he lives in the wilderness. He wears like rough camel skin for clothes. He's probably got dreadlocks and extremely long hair because of a Nazarite vow that he seems to have taken. He eats bugs. Is this the kind of guy that people are looking for as a leader? Well, when he starts attracting people to him, you can imagine how the authorities responded, how they usually do to the dreadlock-wearing, bug-eating, camel skin-wearing crowd. Right? And he starts to kind of like build this, this following and these people that are interested in what he's doing. And like in, in Luke uh, 3, verse 15, it says, The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. So these people are ready to give him power. Messiah was a political, military term. They're ready to, to say, like, can you lead us? Can we get behind you? Can we give you authority? They're, they're about to say, you can lead us. You can do whatever you want. He's about to have influence. He's about to have maybe people that are willing to die for him. He's about to have money if he just says yes to this. If he just, uh, we're wondering if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Who was the last leader you heard that said, I am not enough for you? Who was the last leader you heard that said, I am not the person you need. Isn't that like all we do? Is we look for someone that says, I can do it. And here John, this Advent figure, standing in the middle of darkness, pointing towards the light that's going to come, and he says, I am not who you need. There is another. And I am not worthy to untie his shoes. Isaiah, as he progresses past chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of raising concerns about what is broken in the world and God's people's own ignorance and uh, just um, not caring about what's going on, it opens chapter 6, interestingly, with this like confrontation with, with, with Isaiah where he, he ends up caught up in, in the presence of God and he says, woe to me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king. And it's in his response to his own inadequacy that God says, I want to send you. You have John who says, I am not the Messiah. 
And you have Isaiah who says, I am undone. And those are the kinds of people that can lead the people of God back to where they need to go. Um, an, an Episcopal priest that I like named Fleming Rutledge, which can I say, doesn't, doesn't that sound like she needs to see the doctor about something? Fleming Rutledge is just like, that sounds a little, it's a total side comment. Um, she was visiting the seminary that I was working at once. And, um, and she uh, uh, is a very formal person. Um, she came wearing like a very formal, like all black, um, kind of like uh, gown to preach in, um, black cane. And, uh, and she was upset. She had found a bulletin for the day, and it said Dr. Fleming Rutledge. And she, she didn't have a doctorate, and she was, you know, didn't want to be misrepresented. And uh, so she found me. I was in the office, and she said, who put doctor in front of my name? It's great. Super awesome. Um, little apology there. Uh, for, uh, for Fleming Rutledge. Um, but anyway, brilliant writer, brilliant theologian, especially when it comes um, to the cross and Advent. Um, and she, that was, you didn't need a bit of that, but I just couldn't talk about, um, to, couldn't talk about her without sharing that story. And, uh, but she has this, this beautiful little line. She says, Advent begins where human potential ends. That when we get to the end of what we can do, and our ability to make the world right, when we accept that we are not the answer and there is no body here that is the answer to fixing the world on their own power, that's when Advent starts because that's when the people of God look for something beyond themselves. Some strategy past what they have inside of them. And, and there's this thing about Advent, about, about being in the darkness, and, or about being in the wilderness, like John the Baptist, about, about knowing that we need help that quiets us down. Because if I think that some human strength is the solution, we can like ramp up and get something done if I just fire myself up enough. But if I admit I am not the Messiah, and you aren't either, if I admit I am a people I am a person of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and we're broken and we need something from the outside. In that, we can get quiet and maybe something different can happen. Um, my, one of my wife's professors shared a, a video um, with her this week that she shared with our family um, showing some, uh, depicting some true events um, from 1914 about some people who embraced the quiet in the middle of chaos. Jenkins. Oakley. No. Sleep in hell. 
Ein Blitzer kommt! Ein Blitzer kommt! Jim? Jim, don't, don't do it! Halt! Hey. Er ist nicht bewaffnet! Nein, doch so! My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, it's schön. Um, it's schön. Yeah, in, in the middle of what was called the war to end all wars, on Christmas, somebody who they must have felt like they were in hell. They let the weight of the darkness sit on them. And instead of lobbing another grenade, they sank. And for a few hours, there was a break in what was the most horrible thing the world has ever seen up to that point. Football, gifts, looking each other in the eye. I think hope starts to come when human potential ends. Can I fix this with my fighting? And for a few minutes, someone decided to do something different. You know, someone could say, that doesn't matter. It, the war kept going. It did. It did. I mean, someone could say, maybe that's, that's real cute. They sang a couple songs and played some soccer. I would say that is freaking revolutionary, that in the middle of a world that had lost its mind, people took time to love their enemies as themselves and gather around the idea that Christ had come into the world, even if it was just for a short time. That brought some light into a dark world. Isaiah, as he goes on from proclaiming the people's guilt around forgetting the poor and for hurting the marginalized and then coming to the end of himself in uh, chapter 8. In chapter 8, it says, Then they look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. 
And they will be thrust into utter darkness that it's in that place that God leads his people, lets them feel the darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea and beyond the Jordan. Because the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy and they rejoice before you as people rejoice before the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For in the day of Midian's, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born. And to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That what we do is we stand in the darkness and we feel it. We come to the end of our own strategies and inadequacies, and we point to the one who is going to come and make the world right. And on that day, oppression will be over. Every poor person will be lifted up and seated among princes. On that day, everyone that has felt out will be in the kingdom of God and the Messiah will be the one who leads us there. And we can only get there when we start by saying, I am not the Messiah. And woe to me. I have unclean lips. I am, I am engaged in this darkness and I need someone to rescue us all out of it. When, when uh, the people that were gathered around John, when they heard him and they saw him and they, they responded um, to, to this wild man, right? And they started asking him uh, in verse 10 of chapter three, what shall we do then? The crowd asked. You might be asking, so what do I do? Broken world. I can't fix it, so what do I do? Thoughts and prayers, is that enough? What do I do? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors, you gotta love the word even there, Luke was like, even the tax collectors. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? do don't collect anymore. Then you're required, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Which is interesting, those last two, because by the way, those were perfectly legal. Those were perfectly legal and culturally normal. How did, how did tax collectors get uh, money for themselves? They, they took it from people. That was normal. That was accepted. That was just what they did. Soldiers were allowed to extort people. That was perfectly normal and accepted in their society. That would have been a bit of some cold water in the face. You mean some things that we have accepted as normal are actually a part of the breaking of the world. And, and John says it's time to reevaluate how you engage with the world. If you have enough, find someone who doesn't have enough and give it to them. Take time to look at the ways you engage with the world. How is 
this hurting someone and I maybe haven't even thought about it? Maybe I've just accepted it. Maybe I need to find someone who has less and listen to them and find out is there some way that I am living that is actually a part of their oppression that God, when he breaks oppression, he is going to break something in my life to set them free. And I don't even know it yet. This is the Advent people, the people who know we're in darkness, who are waiting for the Messiah and know that they cannot fix the world on their own, but they can do the work that is given to them. They can start to be little vessels of light in the middle of darkness, knowing that we need the Messiah to fix all of it, but I can do my bit. I can take my shirt and give it to someone who has none. I can stop doing the thing that I think is normal in order to set somebody free. Advent for you, maybe today, a good question is, how are you actively loving the poor? Uh, The Christmas Eve offering is a beautiful start to that. Beautiful start. I would also ask that you find someone that you can look in the eyeballs and that you can learn their name. Hold their hand. How are you actively loving the poor? Because the world is dark and we need a different kind of people. Just to wrap up, Isaiah 58, as Isaiah is bringing this whole bit to a climax, he says, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke, it is, not, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you, were, when you see them naked and clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Will you say these, these last words with me? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. That's when our light breaks forth like the dawn. That's when we see the sunrise. Let's pray. Jesus, would you right now highlight to us who we can listen to and who we can care for how we can give what we have to someone who might be in need. And as we just take a moment to be silent, God, would you let us feel the weight of the darkness in the world? God, help us to feel our inadequacy. And help us to be brave as Advent people to allow our lives to be spoken to by those who have less. So that we can say yes 
to how John the Baptist leads us, making way for the Messiah. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.